morning. Good morning. Can anyone hear, everyone hear me? Very good. Good morning. It's a joy and a privilege to be up here once again. Um, it's been a while since, since I've been up here, and uh, I thank Dawson and Pastor Chuck for allowing me the opportunity, and, and uh, again, the joy and privilege it is to be here. Uh, so <clears throat> if you have your scriptures ready, we're going to go ahead and start reading from Romans chapter 8, verse 12. Uh, the word of the Lord says, So then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. This is the word of the Lord. Let's go ahead and pray. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for this uh, splendid Lord's Day that you have given us today to come and worship you in spirit and in truth. We pray now uh, that you would give us eyes to see and that you would give us ears to hear the gospel uh, by the spirit of your by the spirit we pray in Jesus name amen okay now one of my favorite um, I guess guilty pleasures you can call them to engage in um, is what I call or what some people call barbershop talk if you're not familiar with barbershop talk back in a long time ago when men used to go get their haircuts uh, they used to go to an actual barbershop you know they didn't go to hair salons and stuff like that they would go to a, a a barber shop. You guys are pretty, you might be familiar. They have like a pole outside with the swirly thing going. And uh, so in these barber shops, they were usually men, maybe 50 years and older, uh, right? And and these men are like sages, right? They have like all this worldly wisdom. And when you go in there and you ha- and you're getting your hair cut, uh, they usually there's usually a topic going around that they're all discussing. Um, maybe if you've seen Coming to America, you know, there's a scene in there where there's barbers talking, going back and forth about certain things. Uh, now, uh, one of the, when you're in, in, these, in these settings and you're in a barbershop and they're going back and forth about whatever topic, eventually the inevitable question will come up, okay, so give me your top five blah, blah, blah. So it could be whatever the discussion is, give me your top five musicians of all time, your top five... Uh, quarterbacks of all time, your top five, whatever, right? And so that to me is uh, it, it's a useful tool to kind of engage people uh, in conversation. And so this was way way back when I had <laughs> when I had hair and I go to the barber shops. I would enjoy that type of conversation. Uh, now, um, you know, as a Christian, I still enjoy it. However, I, I I do my own Christian little twist to it. So if you've ever had a, an extended conversation with me. Um, at some point, I more than likely might ask you, okay, give me your top five chapters of the Bible or your top five verses of the Bible. Who are the top five Puritans or top five theologians that are alive, right? So if I was to ask you today, what are the top five chapters in the Bible for you? What are the top five chapters that you see yourself going back to over and over that you just love reading, you love meditating upon them? 
what would you say? Think about it, because after your service, I might come up to you and ask you, give me your top five. Now, if I was to take a survey um, uh, amongst Christians going back, let's just say, back 500 years to the Reformation till now, if I was to take a survey of Christians and ask them that, that exact question, what are your top five chapters, more than likely... Uh, the majority of Christians would have Romans chapter 8 at the, at the very top of the list. Now, Romans chapter 8, after taking a cursory reading of, of the chapter, you're going to soon realize that the theme of that chapter is assurance. Right? Assurance. And, and ask yourself this question, why as Christians are we in, in constant need of assurance? Why do we need to be assured constantly of of our salvation, of our position in Christ. Why is that? Well, you know, I don't like making blanket statements and just say, well, it's because all of us do this. You know, because it is individual basis, you know, for some people it might be different reasons. However, I can confidently say that uh, for most Christians, the reason why we need this constant assurance is because for the very reason that Paul, in, in the previous chapters to the verse that we just read, in chapters 6 and 7, He's making the case that sin is a very present reality in the life of a believer. Just because we're Christians, as we all know, doesn't mean that we stop sinning, right? We continue, you know, our sinful nature continues to to be within us. However, at the same time, the Holy Spirit has come to dwell within us and to give us this uh, confidence, this assurance that we are children of God. Uh, Let's see here. Now... In the previous chapter, chapter 7, Paul gives us a picture of what it means for a Christian to wage warfare against our sinful nature. And this is what he says. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold under sin. For I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I, do not, if I do what I do not want, I agree with the law that it is good. So now it is no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me that is in my flesh. For I have the desire to do what is right, but not the ability to carry it out. For I do not, the do, for I do not do the good that I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing now. If I do what I do not want, it is no longer I who do it, but the sin that dwells within me. And so, I find it to be a law that when I want to do right, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inner being, but I see in in my members another law, waging war against the law of my mind and making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then I, my, I myself serve the law with, of God with my mind, but with the flesh I serve the law of sin. So here again, Paul's giving us a picture of the true born-again Christian who's indwelled by the Holy Spirit and what it means to wage when, that's, when the Spirit wages war against our sin. Now, that alone should give us uh, the assurance, the, the guarantee that we are children of God. Now, let me ask you this. Is that how you feel, the way I just described what Paul said here in Romans? Is that 
how you feel when you struggle with sin. Do you find yourself sometimes almost at a point of despair where you, you almost want to cry out, wretched man that I am, who can save me from this body of death? Is that your struggle? Is that your attitude towards sin when you find yourself in, uh, in sin? You know, sometimes if you've been a, a Christian for any length of time, there's going to be times, maybe even seasons in your life, uh, where, you're, where you find yourself battling some sin and you keep falling into it, you keep falling prey to it, and this is what it leads to. It leads to almost wanting to say, Lord Christ, what, what am I to do? What am I, you know, I'm here, I'm helpless, I keep falling, and, and you feel this guilt, and you don't know what to do, and it, it, sometimes it causes like an, an identity crisis. Because you're like, okay, I think I'm a child of God, but a child of God wouldn't continually be doing these things. And so it forces you to kind of struggle with who you are in Christ. Now, an unregenerate person, someone who, who has not come to the Lord yet, um, they don't have that struggle, right? Because they don't have the indwelling spirit of God within them. They can go ahead and live a lifestyle of sin and not be bothered by it at all. Right, they can continue living the life of debauchery, or, or you know whatever the case is, and not even bat an eye again because they do not have the spirit of God within them to convict them uh, of their sin. Now, sometimes when I have um, com- conversations with unbelievers, uh, maybe even baby Christians, people that are new to the faith, um, I tell them, you know, if, if you're going to embrace Christianity, you're going to have to be comfortable. Uh, with mystery. You're going to have to be comfortable that the Bible uh, does not answer every single question that we have about life. Some things are just mysterious to us. We don't understand things. And the Bible's not always black and white about every issue, everything that we, that we have questions about. And so you have, to be, you have to be comfortable with a certain amount of mystery uh, from the scriptures. Now, uh, for me personally, one of the um, one of the doctrines that's always perplexed me and I found that, that I've always found kind of like, you know, how, how can this be? But it's true because the Bible says it's true, is the doctrine of the hypostatic union of Christ. Um, if, if you're not familiar with that doctrine, it's a doctrine that, that teaches that Christ is truly man and truly God at the same time. And that for me is like, wow, you know, that, how can a man, just a man be truly God and truly man at the same time? It's it's mind-boggling, right? At least to me it is. Um, now, another mystery of Christianity is this whole thing about regeneration, about being born again, right? Um, every, no one here is born a Christian. At some point in your life, uh, you were regenerated. You were born again. If you were born in the church, you know, that might be a little, a little tricky for you because you, all you've known your whole life is, is, is Christ, is God. And so you can't really pinpoint, you can't say, you know, you can't, you know, on the, on the calendar, mark, mark the day you were born again. However, at some point you were, right? Now, have you ever considered the mystery, how profound it is that the Holy Spirit would work uh, regeneration in your heart? You know, the Bible teaches that when you're born again, he, the Holy Spirit removes your heart of flesh, I'm sorry, your heart of stone, and replaces it with a heart of flesh. Did you guys ever feel anything? Did you guys feel a heart removal when you were born again? You know, I doubt you did, right? But that's exactly what happened. There's a lot of things going on when you're born again 
um, you know, the Holy Spirit, again, he, he comes into your, into your life, into, uh, into your heart. He, he changes your heart from a heart of stone to a heart of flesh. You know, you're being justified, you're being sanctified. All these things are going on, you, and you're oblivious to it, you know, because it's not, you, you don't see it, you don't hear it, you know, it's just happening. It's kind of a feeling. How the, the work of the Spirit within us is very, very subtle, and He's very gentle with us. However, the work of the Spirit is very evident. It is very evident. You're going to know, you're going you're gonna to recognize when someone is truly born again. Um, you know, I'm a, I've... Um, I've told you uh, the congregation before that I'm a, I used to be a real big uh, fan of hip-hop. And in hip-hop, uh, one of the slogans or things that they continually say is real, recognize real. And so well, amongst Christians, you, you reckon, real, recognize real, you can, re- you can see someone and, kind of, and just tell, yeah, they're, they're, they're born again. Just by the way they act, you know, just by the things that they do. You know, because anyone can profess to be a Christian. Anyone can say, yes, I'm a Christian. But then it's the way that you live, it's the way that you live that out that really confirms that, yes, you are a Christian. Now, again, when you're born again, the things that you, that you used to love and cherish, that sinful behavior that you used to indulge in, it's no longer um, things that, that appeal to you. As a matter of fact, sin becomes appalling and it becomes horrendous. Uh, once we used to walk in our carnal desires, but now we march to the beat of a different drummer, right? We're not doing what the world does anymore. Now we're doing what Jesus and God wants us to do. So the entire trajectory of your life changes once you're born again. Now, during this COVID-19 um, pandemic, uh, we've a lot of people have suffered. A lot of people have lost uh, a, lot of, a lot of things. A lot of pain and suffering has occurred. Uh, many people have lost their jobs. Uh, some of us have even lost loved ones to, to COVID. Um, so it's affected us in, in, so in one way or another. All of us have, have been affected by it. Um, I have the privilege of working for the uh, Department of Education. And so what I do is I work with people who have uh, student loan debt, federal student loan debt. And, and I tell you, it, it is, uh, it's an eye-opener. I mean, before I started working with the Department of Education, all, all I knew that student loan debt was a nightmare. Right, you people get in debt, and you wind up you wind off paying the you're in the student debt thing for like the majority of your life. You know, I have people that I talk to who are um, elderly people. They're 60, 65 years old, been paying on their student loan for 20, 25 years, and they're still paying on it. And it comes to a point where they just they flat out just tell me, you know what, I'm 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 gonna die with the student loan debt, and I'm just not gonna pay you guys anymore. I'm I'm done giving you my money. I'm done giving giving the government my money. It's I'm just not gonna pay it off. And they still have like 20 grand, you know, that they're indebted, and it breaks my heart. And during this COVID-19 period, uh, a lot of people have lost their jobs, so they can't make their their monthly payments on these loans. And then um, on top of that, when, what happens is that your credit gets gets messed up. Right, so now some of these people are trying to get maybe a, a, a car or whatever, and they can't do that because uh, their student loan debt prevents them from doing that. Anyways, so again, COVID-19 has affected us, uh, affected us all in different ways. For me personally, uh, the way that it's affected me the most is in my spiritual life. Um, you know, if I'm going to be transparent and honest with you guys, I mean, it's uh, when it began and, you know, everything just shut down and church had to shut down, you know, at a first, I was excited. Okay, well, at least we get to watch Chuck on, on the YouTube thing. And I'd watch him, right? 
And then little by little, I'd, I'd get lazy, right? And I, ah, well, it's going to be on YouTube. I'll, I'll check it out later in the evening. Then let, eventually become, ah, I'll see it on Monday, whatever. I got really lax, and I kind of put my guard down, and, and, uh, and it was horrible. It was horrible because I, I put my heart down, and what I found is that sin that I thought I had conquered years back resurfaced. Things that I had not done in years uh, resurfaced because of me letting my guard down. And so I found myself in a, in a situation where, like, I, got, I had to wake up. I had to be like, yo, you got to get back on, on the ball here because, you know, it, this, is, this is important, important stuff. And, it, you know, the, thank God, you know, ironically, I say this because the Holy Spirit starts convicting me. If I did not have the Holy Spirit within me to convict me of my sinful behavior, um, then I would just probably, I probably wouldn't even be here right now. I'd probably still be in bed right now asleep. But I'm here, thank God, again. And that gives me the assurance that the Holy Spirit is indeed dwelling within me, making that warfare with my sin, with my sinful behavior. Uh, now, what I want to do is I want to give you three uh, practical ways in which you can hopefully fight off your sin or wage war with your sin. Now, these three points that I'm about to give you may sound a little elementary, a little bit too easy, but like most things in life, uh, some things are easier said than done, right? So the first thing I want to share with you to help avoid or, or combat your sin is avoid people, places, and things that will tempt you to fall into sin. I'll say that again. Avoid people, places, and things that will tempt you to fall into sin. Uh, later on in Romans, in chapter 13, Paul says this to the Romans. He says, Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake up from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone, the day is at hand. So then, let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. Now, if you have a marker, or you have a highlighter, some, if you're taking notes, underline, highlight that part of the verse in Romans chapter uh, 13 where he says, Make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. We know that we should avoid a certain place, and we go there anyways. We recognize the personal weakness for a certain activity, but we tempt ourselves anyways. How many times do we fall into sin because we plan for it? Ask that of yourself. When you find yourself sinning is it because you might have planned for it all right so just be very careful with the people with the places the things that you do you know a lot of the, a lot of it is just being cautious you know about about the things that you're about to engage in or people you're about to to maybe uh, hang around with and stuff all right now point number two is ask a trusted friend to speak truth into your life I'll say it again. Ask a trusted friend to speak truth into your life. And the key word there is trusted. 
Um, obviously, you don't want to just go around and, you know, telling everyone your business. You know, <laughs> not everyone has to know everything about you. But I'm sure that all of us here have at least one person in our lives that knows us well enough that they can speak truth into our lives. They can see things that maybe we don't see within ourselves. You know, a lot of times we walk with these blinders and we don't see uh, what we're doing. We don't, we don't recognize our sinful behavior for what it is, but others can see it. Uh, so ask uh, a third, uh, an individual, right? Hey, can I ask you a question? Sure. You know, what is it that you see in me that maybe I need to repent of? Maybe, you know, I'm losing my, my temper a little too often or whatever the case is. Uh, sometime last week I had a dinner with a close friend of mine and um, I asked her, are you familiar with the, with the verse in James 5 where he talks about confessing your sin to one another and praying for one another that you may be healed? And she said, yeah, I'm familiar with that verse. And I asked her, when was the last time that you confessed, you know, your sin to to another trusted friend or a trusted believer? Or when was the last time that one of your friends confessed their sin to you? And she said, you know what, I can't even remember. I don't, I don't know. It's been a long time. And so I asked her, why, why do you think that is? Why, why do you think that, you know, it's in, it's in the Bible. It's a command. That he's, you know, James is telling us to confess our sins to one another. Why do you think so many Christians don't don't do that? You know, when we get together the, to fellowship, you know, we, we talk about everything under the sun, sports, entertainment, you know, what you what you did this week, work, family. But when do you actually set time aside with your with your friends, with your circle of friends and say, Hey, I'm struggling with this and you know, help me, pray with me. You know, it's it's not too often. And so my friend, you know, she she's pretty brilliant, and, and uh, you know, I, I, I that's one of the things that I love about our friendship, my friendship with this with this particular friend. Right away, off the top of her head, she's like, "Well, I can think of two things. Number one is the obvious. You know, when we confess our sins, you're putting yourself in a vulnerable state. You know, it's kind of embarrassing sometimes. You know, um, you're kind of ashamed of some of the behavior that you, you might be engaging in." And so obviously that's one of the reasons why, you know, you don't want to confess to one another because you put yourself in such a vulnerable state with someone else. But her second point really made me think, and she said, and I think the second, another reason why people don't really confess their sin is because they don't want to let it go, right? They don't want to let it go. Once you confess your sin to someone else, all of a sudden that other person, if they're a good, trusted Christian friend, they're going to hold you accountable for that sin. And so confessing that to someone while you're secretly cherishing your, your hidden sins, that's another reason why not, when she said that, it kind of blew my mind because it's like, wow, you know, you, you are exactly right. So something to think about. And uh, number three, um, ask God to reveal hidden sin in your life. Who knows you better than God? No one, Right. Not even your best friend, not even your spouse knows you better than God does. He created you. He fashioned you. He knows you better than anyone in this world. So who better to ask to reveal hidden sin in your life? You know, a lot of times we find ourselves confessing our sins to God, repenting of our sins to God, and that's, and that's fine. We should. But how many times do you ask him to reveal hidden sinful behaviors that you might be practicing and you're not even aware of? Right, so it's it's something that we need to sit down with God and do, like as the psalmist says in uh, Psalms 139, 
He says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. And see if there be any grievous way in me. And lead me in the way of everlasting. Okay, so now, another question. Sobering question. What is your attitude towards sin? What is your attitude towards sin? When you find yourself, you know, doing things that you know are, are not uh, what, you know, are not what the, God, what the Bible says to do, um, how, what's, your, what's your attitude toward it? How do you feel about it? Do you hate it? Do you loathe it? Do you do everything in your power to fight against it? Do you put on the armor of God to wage war? against your sin or do you feel indifferent about it right do you just kind of brush it off and be like ah do you try to justify it you know why god did you give me this woman you know somehow some way we're trying to justify our sinful behavior because you're gonna have when you sin you're gonna have a reaction right there's there's no there's no ifs or, or buts about it you're gonna react to sin one way or another and if you find yourself uh, in a position where maybe, again, you're feeling indifferent to it, you don't really care, then there might be time for you to really sit down with God and examine yourself, as Paul tells the Corinthians, to see if you're truly in the faith. Now, one of the repeated uh, warnings that we get in the New Testament is uh, do not deceive yourselves. Do not, dece- do not deceive yourselves. And that's repeatedly uh, written in, in a lot of uh, Paul's epistles, and even in James, he, they say, do not deceive yourselves. Now, why that constant warning? Well, it's because we're so easily deceived. Sin is very deceitful. Sin is very deceitful. And we tend to deceive ourselves thinking, hey, you know, I'm okay with God. You know, I, I prayed that sinner's prayer a long time ago or whatever, and I should be okay. Like God is loving, and God is all love, and he forgives all. And at the end of the day, you know, when I face him, he's going to be like, oh, it's, it's okay. Don't worry about it. Come, in, come into, into my kingdom. Well, that's not how it's going to be, unfortunately. Um, we do need to take sin seriously uh, because at the end of the day, it's, a, it's, a, it's literally a matter of life and death. Literally a matter of life and death. If you look again... At chapter thirteen, I'm sorry. At verse thirteen, uh, Paul says, "If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live." So, what Paul is saying here is that if we continue in willful, deliberate sin, then our eternal destiny is going to be hell. You know, that forgotten doctrine of hell that we hardly ever get to uh, mention. <laughs> uh, we, you know, it, it's unfortunate, you know, because the doctrine of hell is a very real doctrine. And, you know, sometimes it just doesn't get mentioned enough. And, you know, not that every sermon should be hellfire and brimstone. But we need to be reminded that, you know, we are very easily deceived and we could easily be playing for the wrong team. You're either Team Jesus or you're Team Devil. Last week I was preaching at, at our sister church, Las Tierras, and for 30 minutes I, I waxed poetic on what it is to be a child of God and a child of Satan. 
Um, I read off of First John uh, chapter 3 where he in fact talks about, you know, those who practice lawlessness are children of the devil. But if you practice righteousness, then you are a child of God. Now, do you remember Jesus' Sermon on the Mount? And toward the end of the sermon, he talks about what's going to happen on the last day. He talks about how many people are going to be in for a rude awakening. This is what he says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will say to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Some translations say you who practice lawlessness. In other words, those who practice sin. Notice he didn't say depart from me, you atheists. Depart from me, you Muslims. Depart from me, you filthy Baptists. I'm just playing <laughs> Baptist. I have a lot of great Baptist friends. But <laughs> the point is, Jesus is telling people who you might be doing mighty works for God, and you're deceiving yourself, thinking that you're because you're doing these things, hey, I must be a child of God. And yet, your sinful lifestyle, unrepentant sinful lifestyle, says otherwise. And I don't want any of us here, or anyone watching, to be one of these people who are going to get this rude awakening. You know, the, uh, Jesus said many people are going to get rejected on that last day. So imagine coming to the end of, the, of your life and coming to meet Jesus, and he says, sorry, man, you're, pl- you're playing for the wrong team. <laughs> you're actually over here. It's going to be horrible. Um, and again, I don't want any of us to, to be in that position when the time comes. But if by the Spirit, Paul says... But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. So in other words, if you find yourself constantly waging war against your sinful desires by God's Spirit, take comfort. Take comfort in that, again, because that's, that's your guarantee. The Holy Spirit comes and indwells you and he wages this war and he helps you fight this war. Now we're going to fight this war until Jesus comes or he calls us home. The battle's never going to end. It's a constant battle. However, the battle itself, that's, gonna, that's, what should get, that's what should give us that assurance that, hey, I'm a child of God. And you might keep falling back into that same sin. Take heart. Take heart because Jesus has already won the battle for us. All we need to do is keep waging that war and just wait until, you know, he comes hopefully sooner than later. And as Paul says here, in his verse, we are co-heirs with Christ. So everything that God has promised us, uh, eternal salvation and all that he's prepared good for us, is awaiting us. Okay, so let's go ahead and pray this morning. Uh, Heavenly Father, we thank you for the indwelling presence of the Spirit. Thank you, Lord, for all that you have given us, for your grace and mercy. And above all, we thank you for the blood of our Savior that, gri- that gives us access into your throne room of grace. Help us, Lord, as we wage the war on sin. Sometimes it's a struggle, but yet we know that we have the victory in Christ. Thank you, Father, again for your mercy, for your grace, and we pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.